going to read from Ephesians 4, starting at verse 25. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building of others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, with, uh, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. This guy, look at this guy. He's so nice. How's everybody doing? Y'all can sit. So what's so cool about what Lucy just did was she read the Word of God. She read it to you. In the year like 52 AD, this guy Paul rolls into Ephesus and he plants a church. And he spends three years with them. And so in 55 AD, he leaves and there's tears and he tells them that he's not going to see them again. And then five years later, he's in prison in Rome and he writes a letter to this church in Ephesus. And he hands it to his friend uh, Tychicus or Tychicus or Tychicus, however you want to pronounce it. And this guy walks it to Ephesus and reads it to the church in Ephesus. Now, just happened, Lucy Corn stood right there and read part of the same letter to you, to us, the church here in Union Bridge. Anybody else like brain exploding emoji? Because you're all kind of staring back at me like, we already knew that, Patrick. I love that kind of stuff. I think it's so cool. Uh, we are in the letter to the church in Ephesus known as Ephesians. Frank has been preaching through this. I am not Frank. I'm not Frank Taylor. I'm not the senior pastor. So if you want to leave, do it now quietly. Just kidding. I'm Patrick. I'm the youth pastor. If you want the real thing, come back next week. Um, I made that joke in the first service. And again, I say, I shouldn't have made that joke. This is God's word. This is serious. Let's do this. We're in Ephesians. You can turn there if you have your Bible. Um, context is very important. It's, it's really important. Because if we just drop in, in chapter 4 of verse 25 and start reading, we get this list. But to know why we get this list is incredibly important. Paul writes this letter and he does it in such a way where he has this structure, this flow. And he spends the first half of the letter talking about how we are in Christ. 
He says, in him, in Christ, or in Jesus, upteenth million times. There's an actual number, but for the sake of emphasis, there you go. He says it a lot. And then in chapter 4, he transitions, and he starts talking about our walk, our, our living through him, because we are in him. All right? And so in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received. Then he continues, and Frank has preached these messages already, so I don't need to, to, go any, uh, to, to go through them in detail, but the immediate context of verse 25, where we're dropping in, begins in verse 21, which Frank preached last week, but I need to read it. It says this, and I'm going to use the NLT. Since you have heard about Jesus, y'all heard about Jesus? Okay, good. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off or lay aside your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That is the immediate context to where we're jumping in. Verse 25. It says this. But first, before I get there, these nine verses, we're about to read nine verses, okay? There are 14 imperatives. Any grammar nerds in here? A couple, kind of, maybe. Imperatives. It's like uh, any iPhone users? iPhone users? Y'all, Jeremy stood at that keyboard earlier and he said that he, his, his greatest hope was participation. Jeremy said that. So I'm echoing Jeremy. So please. Oh, thank you. All right. What did I even say? Grammar nerds, iPhone users. iPhone users? Okay. I'm an Android user, um, but I'm in a community group of iPhone users. I think there's a couple other Androids. Anyway, yeah. Woo! All right. So when texts go out, right, and then somebody wants to emphasize that text, like they... They felt it somewhere, and they're like, I want to emphasize that text. Then everybody gets the text again, and it says so-and-so emphasized said text. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, so imperative, right? 14 imperatives in nine verses. Paul is like 14 emphases. emphases. Yeah. This is like crazy emphatic, all right? All right. That's my setup. He has a flow. He does this thing where he gives something that we're supposed to shed or take off or rid ourselves of, an exhortation, if you will. Then he positively restates it. And then he gives a reason for said argument. That's his flow. He does that four times very clearly. And then he kind of goes off of his structure a little bit. We'll get there when we get there. And so I've got it laid out up here. Christian, if you do me a favor, you're the man. It says this, therefore, putting away lying. This is verse 25. Putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. So Paul exhorts us to put away lying. The NLT translates it, stop telling lies. This is, this is big, right? Y'all lie? Anybody lie? Anybody ever lied? I used to, I say used to, I'll explain. 
Um, when I was in high school, I was really good at looking at my parents right in the eye. I mean, right in the eye. And saying, I'm going to Joe's house. Because what I was saying was I was going to Joe Perrone's house. But I also had a friend named Joe Perry. So she thought I meant I was going to Joe Perry's house. But what I really meant was I'm going to Joe Perrone's house. But all I said was I'm going to Joe's house. But I knew in my heart that I was lying. And I was good at it. I was good at it when I was in high school. And I'm, I don't do it anymore. No, just the other day, guys, just the other day, I was, this is a less significant lie, but I was talking to my wife, and she's not here. Uh, no, she was here in the first service, and she knows. We've had this conversation since. I was talking to my wife, and I told her that it was 56 degrees in our living room that morning because I was looking at the thermos, thermometer, thermometer. It's a long story. I told her it was 56 degrees. Guys, I didn't miscommunicate or I lied. It was 59 degrees in our living room. And I did it because it sounded better. It sounded colder. It sounded more intense. And as I said it, I'm not kidding. As I said it to her, I'm thinking, Patrick, what are you doing? You know that it was 59 degrees and not 56 degrees. And I corrected myself right there in that moment. And, 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 you know, while this is happening, I'm preparing this message about stop lying. And I'm thinking, like, what is going on here? Why did I do that? It seems so insignificant, right? So insignificant that I would just change it by three degrees. I lied. I grieved the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But lying is a big deal. He, uh, Paul uses this thing. Uh, often when he writes, where he will just quote Scripture. And when Paul said Scripture, Paul meant the Old Testament. Okay? He'll quote Scripture. And so Zechariah 8.16, the speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, is Zechariah 8.16. And so the people in the church in Ephesus, when they heard this, especially the Jews among them that were now Christians, would immediately go, oh, Zechariah 8.16. And they would, they would, drag all the context of that into this letter. And y'all did that when I read it. When Lucy read it earlier, right? You guys were like, oh, yeah, got it. I'm there. No, you didn't. Admittedly, I didn't either. Um, I've done this thing called study. And so, um, speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor is a direct quote from Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. And so, what Zechariah is talking about in this chapter is he's talking about the new Jerusalem, He's talking about a hope for the future during the Messianic rule because at this point in time in the Old Testament, the Babylonian exile had, has happened, okay? And there, the remnant has returned to Jerusalem and Zechariah is writing to them about where Paul is. <sighs> Jesus has come. Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected three days later. And now Paul is writing some 20 some odd years later. And, and, and he's like, we're here where they, where he was talking about then. So stop lying. Speak the truth. Each one of you to your neighbors. That's awesome. And then he gives a reason. He says, because we are members of one another. And so in this letter to 
The Ephesians, what Paul does over and over and over again, you are in him and you are being built together, unified together into this body, this body of Christ, a.k.a. this church. We, us, first service included, Uniontown Bible Church, the whole church. Hey, there it was. Did you see I was waiting for it? This is awesome. He gives a reason. We are members of one another. Okay, last thing and then I'll move on. Jesus had something to say about lying. Jesus is having this conversation with the Jewish leaders and it's recorded for us in John chapter 8, starting in verse 42. And because I have it right here, I'll read it. Jesus said to them, again, to the Jewish leaders, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, He sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? I'll answer you. Because you cannot listen to my word. You are the, you are of your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, his character, his native language. Because he is a liar. He is the father of lies. Jesus is saying this about lying. Jesus thought lying was a big deal. So needless to say, Paul says it. I'll say it again. Stop lying. Stop telling lies. Speak the truth to one another. All right. It gets easier as the list goes on, guys. I promise. This next one is, uh, nope, it's not easier. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. He does the same thing here. He pulls from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. So you guys did the same thing, right? Boom, I got it, got the context. You probably didn't, so let me help you. He pulls in Psalm 4, which is God is angry at his people for their idolatry. God is angry at his people for their idolatry. And so Paul brings that in to this letter that he's writing to the church in Ephesus. All right, And so there gives us some context to what Paul means. But Paul is not saying just don't ever be angry. Guys, just don't be angry. No, he says be angry, but don't sin. Paul sees an appropriateness to our anger. And the context that he pulls from Psalm 4 tells us that the appropriateness is what God gets angry about, we can be angry about. Tracking with me? Now this whole don't let the sun go down uh, on your anger is an, an idiom from the day. It has to do with some wages and things like that. And I'm not going to go there, but Paul most likely pulled it in here. And basically what he's saying is, is don't stew in it. Yeah, you can get angry, but don't let it consume you. Let it be quick, like a flare or like a firework. Maybe that's too strong. I don't know. Um, Here's an example, right? So you're driving along, minding your own business, there's nobody in front of you, and wham, there's somebody in front of you, right? They cut you off, and you have to hit the brakes, and you're like, right? The rage road monster comes out, and, uh, um, but you're a believer, right? You've got the Holy Spirit in you, and so there's this like spiritual calming just suddenly floods you. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Or, Right? Or 
you Clark Griswold it, right? And you go around that person, you cut them off, and you're like, nah! You know, whatever words want to come out of your mouth, we're going to get to foul language. He covers that a little bit later. Um, let it be quick. Let it be angry, but do not sin in your anger. This is, this is something that takes time and the Holy Spirit working in you. And Frank talked about this last week with the old self and the new man and sanctification. And it, it's a process, right? It takes time. It takes time. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I get angry way too fast. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. It has nothing to do with what I said. Okay. This whole um, Satan thing, we got to talk about this. If you let something just reign in your mortal body, like anger, like sin, right? And you just let it be a characteristic of how you live your life. You're giving access to what Paul says earlier in chapter 2, verse 2. The ruler of the power of the air, the spirit working in the disobedient. I read this and like, that's like scary stuff to me. It's just, it's like terrifying. The devil is, is, is real and alive. Peter talks about like this prowling lion, right? He's looking for a way to get in. I had to do this project when I was in seminary. Um, y'all ever read Screw Tape Letters? Anybody? C.S. Lewis book. Um, and I had to write a letter as if I was in the perspective of the demon that was tormenting myself. It was like the craziest assignment I ever had to do because it was incredibly introspective and it hurt a lot. But what Paul is saying here is that if, if you control it, and I'll get into how you can and why you can and all of that, and you don't you know, let the sun go down on it, then you won't give Satan a foothold in that area. All right, let's move on. He says this, Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. All right. Um, I, don't, I think he's pretty clear here. Um, in the church in Ephesus, it's possible that there were some serious thieves that he was feeling the need to to write this, but also in Scripture, like this is just something that pops up quite a bit, actually. Uh, eighth commandment of the ten, the big ten, you know what I'm saying? Anybody know what that is? I could be tricking you. Wow, you guys are very interactive this morning. I love it. Eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Good job. <clears throat> eighth commandment. Um, it is repeated in a variety of ways in the Torah, not to steal. Paul addresses it to the church in Rome in chapter 13, verse 9 of that letter. He addresses it to the church in Corinth, written in the first letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. And he says, thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so this is a big deal. And so if you're in this room and that's something that you struggle with, Stop. Sounds so easy, right? 
And then he gives us reason uh, or what you're supposed to do, honest work, go get a job, right? Do something with your own hands so that you have something to get, share with anyone in need. This part I think is really cool, the reason. Because again, this theme that's weaved in and in throughout um, Ephesians is we are in him and so we are being built together and there are needs among us. People have needs. And so those of us who have the ability to meet those needs, we should meet those needs because we are one in the same body. That's a beautiful picture. All right, then um, moving on, he says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. That word foul is from, it's used in the book of Matthew. uh, And Matthew uses it to describe the rotten fruit that comes from the bad tree that Jesus was talking about. Matthew uses it to talk about rancid fish that need to be thrown out. Y'all ever smelled rancid fish before? Everybody do it with me. (laughs) People hate that noise. Um, uh, we went to Philadelphia. I can't remember if it was 18 or 19, um, but we went and there was this contest we were doing and kids had to, re- had to eat uh, sardines and they weren't even rancid. The kids were like, oh, oh, no, it smells so wet. Your foul language should cause that reaction. You there? You see it? Feel it? All right. Speak what is good. Speak the truth. And, and this is also right speaking, right? No foul language come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. In chapter 4, verse 7, same chapter, Paul is telling us that Jesus gives grace to all the members, each of the members. And so you can join Christ, join with Christ, and give grace to each member in how you speak. Also thought that was a really cool picture. Okay, we need to move on, and we need to do it quickly. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by Him for the day of redemption. This is Paul echoing from Isaiah chapter 63, where Isaiah has just told us about the people of God coming out of Egypt, right? Where God literally saves them from their bondage, pulls them out of Egypt, makes a way for them through the Red Sea, gives them food, gives them water, provides for them, and they rebel against Him. They complain against Him. And they, Isaiah 63, verse 10, grieve God's Holy Spirit. You see the parallel there? You are uh, in Christ. He went to the cross. He took your place. He took your sin on Himself. He absorbed the wrath of the Father. And three days later, well, He died. He made a payment that you couldn't pay. Paid for your sin. Three days later, He walks out of the tomb as proof that what He did on the cross was sufficient. And you complain. And you rebel. And you grieve His Holy Spirit. And y'all, when I say you, I mean me too. The parallel is there. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. God can't be with sin. I can't figure it out. But the Holy Spirit is in you. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And when you rebel against him, he stays inside of you, in your heart, and he grieves. If that's not an argument for personhood, then I don't know what is. This whole sealed thing is really cool. The Holy Spirit is um, the one that seals you until, you know, the day Jesus comes and returns. He seals you. He does the activity of sealing you. And he himself is the seal. Envelope closed, right? You see that picture? You are sealed in him and dwelt by the Holy Spirit until Christ returns. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He says this, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath Shouting and slander be removed from you. Again, you see these, these image removed, take off. It's that old man. Along with all malice, instead or and, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Jesus speaking, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, Sermon on the Mount. He says this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus spoke that. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 35, Jesus is telling a story about a man who has forgiven a million dollars of his debt. And then he walks out and he turns to this one guy who owes him a couple thousand bucks. And he's like, hey, give me my money. The story is a little bit more in depth than that. But he doesn't show, he, a man who is forgiven does not show forgiveness. Paul pleads, forgive one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. And here it is. You ready? The reason for all of this, of what he's writing. He says, therefore, all that I've just said, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. This is what it means to be Christian. To follow Christ. To be like Him. This is it. You are His dearly loved children. God is madly in love with you. You sang it in a melody. Do you believe it? Yeah, give him thanks. As Christ also loved us, and he gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering. I have to close. So here it is. You ready? I'll repeat it. You are dearly loved. The Father in heaven is madly in love with you. He sent his son Jesus to forgive you. To reconcile you. To bring you close. He gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You have been invited into an eternity with God. And you are joined together with His people. Together. That's what Paul is saying. And so live in such a way that you walk worthily, worthy of your calling.
Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for who you are. Uh, we're grateful that you, um, that you called us to this, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, to take our place, to pay the sin debt that we could not afford. We thank you that you saw that sufficient, that sacrifice sufficient, that you saw it as a fragrant offering, and that you put life back into Jesus' lungs, that he walked out of the tomb, resurrected. The king is alive. We thank you. Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would be in our hearts, that you would live with us. We pray that you would change us, that you would convict us, that you would make us more, look more like Jesus. We pray this in his name and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.